0: Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Wow, what an amazing morning. Yes. That was amazing. It was great to be able to sort of run on. I'm kind of mentally hacking some of my talk this morning, so you'll excuse me if I crunch the gears a couple of times, but I just think, and you'll see with everything I'm going to say as well, that it's entirely appropriate that we give the biggest section to worshipping and praising God, and that was just amazing. Yes. Um, so, as Andy said, we kicked off a new um, a new, uh what do you call it? Sermon series. Sermon series. <laughs> just really really kind of thrown. Um, new sermon series on foundations and I've been given the subject of prayer this morning which is a little bit daunting because uh, I don't know about you, I wouldn't be the first one to put my hand up and say yeah I'm really good at that, I love it, it's always my priority. I'm sure many, many of you would agree that it's difficult to be consistent at Particularly, you know, personal prayer. It's difficult to carve out the time. The priority that mentally we ascribe to it isn't usually reflected in the time we give to it, is it? Certainly that's my, that's my experience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote a fair bit from Pete Gregg this morning in a book called Dirty Glory. It's an amazing book on prayer. He's the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. And so I've got quite a few quotes from him. And he says... Satan isn't particularly interested in sin. His primary objective has never been to tempt you into violating a particular set of rules. His number one aim is simply to divert your attention away from Jesus. He'll use sin to do it for sure, but he's equally able to use busyness or shame or pain or religion or candy crush saga, (laughs) an obsessive relationship, a golf handicap or a pay rise or an illness to distract you from the Lord. So I think that's it, there's, there's an enemy that wants to distract us from praying and we've got to be really intentional and I've been on a journey really just as I prepare this, I'm speaking to myself as well and I've, I've taken this as an opportunity to kind of review how I pray and what priority I put on it. So I want to try and make this really practical this morning and also to leave plenty of time for prayer at the end because I think that would be really important to do. So what is prayer? Prayer in its simplest form is just talking to God, just talking to him. We don't need special words or forms, although sometimes those can be helpful. But in the Christian life, you've probably heard it said that we liken Bible reading to water. You can't last without it it for very long. Whereas prayer is often likened to air, oxygen, breathing which, you know, it's only a matter of seconds, isn't it? You can't last without oxygen for very long. And it's the same with prayer. It's essential for life. It's essential for our relationship with God to survive. We must pray. We must speak to him and listen to him. One of our values as Lifespring is Encounter experiencing the God who knows us and pursuing relationship with him. And this is the essence of prayer, isn't it? God knows us. It's amazing that he knows us inside and out. I find that so comforting. If I'm kind of not in a good place, if I'm anxious, if I'm worried, if there's a lot of stuff going on, the thing that I love to do is recite through Psalm 139. And just the first line, (laughs) I'm reading it now. I should know it, shouldn't I? You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. I love that, just as I go to sleep, just thinking about those words. God knows us inside and out. And that's the definition of intimacy, isn't it? People have said, into me you see. God knows us, he sees us. And it's, it's an important thing, it's connection. Sorry. And I think we all know that connection's important, intimacy is important. There's been many studies done on newborn babies. And in fact, my friends, uh, Chris and Ian are here with us today. I always introduce them as my oldest friends, which I'm sure pleases them. But we've, <laughs> we've, we've known each other since university. So they're the friends that I've had the longest, I guess. And they've um, fostered newborn babies for a number of years. I don't know how many babies you had, Chris? Eight, eight newborns they've had one after the other. So amazing, amazing feat. Um, But one of the things that, that, you know, they've talked about and things that I've seen firsthand with these little ones is if there isn't that immediate, that connection... It can be really, really difficult. It's so detrimental to their, their physical and their mental well-being. And we know that. We've seen studies done. There was one little chap that I remember particularly that was desperate for, for this connection, for this kind of just connecting with you. And his eyes would follow you around the room until you looked at him. And then he'd, he'd lock on and light up. You know, just, he just wanted this. And I think, you know, in this world of technology, sometimes real connection's lost, isn't it? We have that kind of fake connection from being available to everybody all of the time. Brené Brown in The Gifts of Imperfection says, "'Connection is the energy that exists between two people when they feel seen, heard and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they can derive sustenance and strength from the relationship.'" And that's what we're talking about with prayer. It's a real relationship, speaking and listening, getting to know and being known. It'll be a relationship that sustains us, energizes us and feeds us more than anything else. And, you know, if you're here today and you're just thinking, you're wondering what I'm talking about. Maybe you're just checking out faith. Maybe you believe there's a higher power and, you know, you don't, you don't really know yet. I'm, I want to tell you that the God of the Bible wants to know you. He, he, know, he knows all about you and he wants you to get to know him too. He has a plan for your life and he loves you very much. There might be some of you here this morning that think, yeah, I'm not really a prayer. It's not really my thing. Some people like all that. They go to all the prayer meetings, not really my thing. And I just want to encourage you in James, it says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And and for any of you that have prayed and maybe given up because you haven't seen answers or or prayed and been disappointed because you just haven't seen breakthrough yet, I want to... Just stress that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Jesus calls all of us righteous; all of us that belong to Him are righteous. It says in John, um, in one John, it says that if we confess our sins, um, He He will uh, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we are righteous. Jesus has made us righteous. That means your prayers are powerful and effective even little us, even our insignificant, badly worded prayers are to a faithful, powerful God. So our prayers are powerful and effective. And I just want to speak that over you this morning. If you're in doubt, that lie that you sometimes let creep in, that I don't know what difference it will make. I don't know. I don't want to pray for that person. What difference will it make? Your prayers are powerful and effective. So essentially then prayer is just communication with God. Is how we connect. It doesn't have to be fancy, but it has to be real. And I think just as in a real relationship, we need quantity of time as well as quality time. Um, I know in the past when, when time management and everything was a really big thing, you know, there was we were all sort of going on these time management courses and, and learning how to be really efficient with our time. This quality time thing seemed to be talked about a lot. So in order to have a deep relationship, you'd have to put aside... Quality time to connect with people and develop a deep relationship. And I think we sold ourselves short. I don't know any of you, if any of you have been on that sort of journey and you think it doesn't actually work, not in and of itself. We need quality time, yeah, but it's not the only thing that matters. You need quantity as well. Like with kids, we uh, went to courses at school to help us connect with our kids better. Many parents would get frustrated with them. Um, I think we might have a picture somewhere, but... Sorry, I've probably chopped and changed and, and lost your place. Um, many of us would be frustrated with, with teenage boys or young lads, you know. Where you kind of say, what did you do today? Nothing. What did you learn? Nothing. Well, you know, it just didn't yield very much at all. We went to a course at school. Oh, there you go. Those are our two lads and another one that you might recognise from this church when they were young, um, but, you know, we were frustrated as parents. We went to learn to ask the right questions to our kids to develop this, this quality time thing. Interestingly, I think the most common question that parents would ask when their kids come out of school was, where's your jumper? <laughs> that was the number <laughs> one. But, you know, we were told to ask questions. And, and I sometimes would say, well, what made you laugh today? You know, we were desperate to kind of connect and have these quality conversations. But I don't know how many of you sort of have found that regardless of what questions you might pepper, with, pepper the kids with over dinner, you could maybe be standing there all evening doing the ironing as I frequently used to and uh, they'd be watching TV and just hanging out in the same space and gradually stuff would start to come up and they would talk in amongst the nif naff and nonsense that was their kind of every day. They'd start to talk and they'd start to bring up the important things too. And I think we often find that, that when we spend quantity of time, when we do the day together, there's real quality time moments and it just makes it easier to really connect. So I think we need both. I mean, the analogy doesn't quite work with God because I'm not sure that he'd only speak to us if we spent a lot of time with him. But I think for us, I think on our side, it really does help. I think it's a lot easier to go deeper with God and really share our deep stuff if we've done quantity of time with him and just learning to bring him into our everyday, have the everyday experience of kind of living with him, doing life with him, talking to him all the time. In Thessalonians, it says, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And Bear Grylls said, Christianity isn't about religion, it's about a real relationship with God being held being forgiven, finding joy, finding home. And at the heart of that kind of relationship is the conversation we call prayer, asking God for help when life is tough, thanking him for the good things, trying to listen for that still small voice. Some of us are doing a, a, ten, a couple of 10-week cycles with the book called Hosting the Presence by Bill Johnson. And it's been, that's been the thing that's really been coming across to me, that, that we, the biggest privilege we have is having the presence of God living inside of us. And we need to learn how to host that presence. And the, the awareness of that presence kind of necessitates an all-day, everyday conversation. And that's something that I don't think any of us have arrived with it at all. But we're just learning to pray continually, being aware of what he wants to do, being aware of what he's saying and telling him all our stuff all day. And Jesus, Jesus did that, didn't he? Another of our values is that we want to be authentic followers. So Jesus is, is our model and we want to do things like he did. He said, I, I only do what I see the Father doing. So he was in that constant kind of conversation And one of the staggering things that I think I'm learning is that uh, in this course, we've been talking a lot about maturity and, you know, many times we might think that maturity is how much we've got it together, how independent I am, how self-reliant, how, you know, how experienced I am. That's how we can measure maturity often. But Bill Johnson's kind of saying our maturity is purely measured on our reliance on God. That means that we, we kind of need to need him all the time, need to talk to him all the time. I love this verse from the message. Um, It's the come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. But in the message, it's brilliant. Matthew 11 says, "'You tired, worn out, burned out on religion, "'come to me, get away with me, "'and you'll recover your life. "'I'll show you how to take a real rest.'" Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that's like, it's like that daily rhythm, isn't it? Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. It's a rhythm. And I, and I want to challenge all of us today to, to, to get better at that rhythm every day, just talking, listening, doing life with Jesus every day. But as well as, as I've said, quality and quantity of time. So we've talked about doing every day. And I just want to focus a bit on quality time as well. Um, Jesus would, as well as being in in touch with his father all the time, he would go off for periods of time and go and pray. And they said to him, the disciples looked at that and said, teach us how to pray. So I'm going to read what he said in Matthew 6 and read the Lord's Prayer this morning. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen, and then your father who sees what's done in secret will, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's interesting, isn't it? You kind of think, if God knows what we need, why do we have to pray at all? Why do we even need to bother? And I think, I sort of think it's a little bit like the lady that complained that her husband never said, I love you. And he, he just said, well, look, I told you I loved you on, your, on our wedding day. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a bit like that, isn't it? God knows what we need. But he wants to have that conversation. He wants us to let us in. He wants us to actually acknowledge our need for him and our reliance on him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I want to just go through this line by line. It's not supposed to be a kind of rote prayer, but sometimes it's helpful just to have a kind of structure. Jesus said these are all the kind of things you should be praying. So I'm going to go through it. And uh we start with our Father in heaven hallowed be your name or holy is your name. So we start with focusing on God. And that's why it's so amazing this morning that we spent so much time just focusing, just purely worshipping and praising God. Derek Prince said, he's an amazing kind of powerful prayer warrior. He said, if you, when you pray, even if you've only got 10 minutes, spend eight of those in worship. So, I've been trying to do this because I think often my prayers can be dominated by what I want, you know, like a cosmic Santa Claus, just, or one of those things that you hit with a stick and the kind of all the sweets fall out, you know, it's kind of, that can be how we treat God, can't it? Just launch all our prayers, all our requests, everything to Him. It's easy to just dump that and run. And again, uh, Pete Gregg says, as a natural activist, I don't find this easy. I tend to want the authority without the intimacy, the power without the hidden hours enjoying the Father's presence. I'm ashamed to admit that my tendency in prayer is to rush through the preliminaries, our Father, to get down to the real business of thy kingdom come and give us this day. I tend to justify prayer by its results and I want to prove to the world that this is productive, that it works, that it's not a total waste of time. So I've been trying to do that to spend. You know, if I've got half an hour, I spend like eight tenths of it, whatever that is, twenty-four minutes or something, in Thanksgiving praise and worship. Just not because the Lord's prayer reflects that kind of ratio, but just for me to kind of redress a balance of not spending the whole time just asking for stuff. And um, so we can, you know, there's there's always stuff for me personally. I find it helpful to to sort of thank and praise and worship, and that's a kind of flow that I tend to go through, and and often that's, you know, that's what we do on a Sunday morning very often. There's always things to thank him for, isn't there? However bad life is, there's always stuff to thank him for. We can thank him for the beautiful day. We can thank him for, as, as Rob prayed earlier, for the roof over our head, for the clothes on our back. There's always stuff to give thanks for, and we can praise him for who he is because he gives us that stuff. If he's given you something, we can praise him, because he's the provider, he's the creator, he's amazing. The, the infinite kind of diversity and, and, and variety that we see in nature, I just always find that amazing. I love, I love sort of going for a walk and just, just praising him for who he is, creator God, magnificent God. It's good just to focus on the attributes of God, to remind ourselves who he is. A theologian called Toza said... What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So, you know, it's, it's great, isn't it, to spend the first part of the day in thanksgiving and praise. It sets us up, actually. It's good to focus on who God is. And I don't know about you, this morning as we praised and worshipped God, I, I just I, when we were just praising God and, and spending all that time doing that, I, I just felt like I could... Sense the blessing kind of flowing down. There was as if God was just pouring down His blessing on us, answering prayers, giving us stuff, providing things, giving breakthrough for stuff, even though we weren't asking, we were just focusing on who He was. And often that's the case, I think. I think that as we as we kind of praise and worship Him, I think it does it changes our priorities, it resizes. How big our issues are, and um, actually, when I was thinking about that, Sashi came up to me, and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to say this or not. But Sashi came up and said, I, "I, just feel that God spoke to me about the lights all around the place. There's all these lights that aren't being used, and He was saying they're not, they're not turned on, they're not being used. And he re- really kind of felt that God wants to shine these powerful lights on stuff today. So we'll have opportunity after, you know, we. As, as God wants, I believe that God said that he wants to shine light on stuff today to provide breakthrough, to give breakthrough for stuff. Maybe you've been praying for ages and we want to pray again today and see God break in. But often that happens as we're praising, doesn't it? And in Romans it says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I think As we thank him, as we praise him, the natural flow is to worship him, to actually offer ourselves, isn't it? To make ourselves that living sacrifice. I think it's not difficult. The more time we spend praising and worshipping, the more time you know, just thanking and praising him for who he is, the easier it is to worship him. I think we get to a point where we think, I don't have enough to give back because of what you've done for me. I just don't have enough, so you just... I want to give you it all, and we get down and worship and to minister to god is is the greatest privilege, as Pete Gregg said it is not just a precursor, so we can do this bit so that then we can ask for all the stuff, but it will resize our priorities, it will start to get our prayer, our, our thoughts in line with what he wants actually and, and start to worship him. And, you know, the next part of the of the prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done. And I think often as we spend time in worship, we start to get what he wants to do rather than just give me what I want to do. It starts to be more about what you want to do. And I, I found that that many times my prayers, my my ask list look, looks very different what it did at the beginning my my concerns get resized my prayers get shifted I start to think more about what God wants to do rather than just what I've wanted so to love God to worship him to minister to him is an end in itself is something that we can never have to justify how much time it it costs it's always always worth it it's our highest privilege I just want to read this bit from Dirty Glory it's a it's a a fairly long section but it's an amazing little story that Pete Greg talked about with his kids we drove to a pub with a, a large leather couch for me and a playground for the kids collapsing onto the soft embrace of the sofa I pointed the boys towards the swings and slides go and have fun I grinned a little too enthusiastically play as long as you want they whooped with excitement and bounded towards the door one of them ran on outside to the playground but the other son paused He watched his brother running to the swings and then he looked back at me quizzically. Slowly he turned around and walked back into the room as if he'd forgotten something or he had something to ask. But instead he just climbed into my lap, threw his arms around my neck and said four words that sucked the air from the room. Daddy, he whispered, looking into my eyes and nodding his head with each syllable to emphasise the point, Daddy, I missed you. While our other son laughed on the slides and swings outside, I sat quietly inside, breathing in time with a little man in my arms. We can minister deeply to the father's heart with unnecessary acts of deep affection. He didn't become any more my son at that moment just because he preferred me to the playground and I didn't start loving him more than the other boy out on the swings. But his act of unnecessary affection ministered to my father's heart at depths he could never have known amazing isn't it and that's how God feels that's what he wants from us he wants us to minister to him to give ourselves to him so next we get to give us give us today our daily bread so this is where we get to ask and as I said your list might look very different at this point you can ask for a lot of stuff even if you've only got two minutes and and we don't need to twist God's arm we can just throw those things up. And one of the things I've, I've found really helpful, it's been interesting to me just over this last little period of time, there's been things that I've prayed. And I don't know if you know the experience where you get a kind of real burden to pray. Something's really bothering you. Sometimes you might describe it as a burden, sometimes it's just something's bugging you. And often, often that's God giving us a burden and He wants us to partner with Him and pray and ask for something, and sometimes that burden then lifts, which is a weird experience, and you kind of, it's kind of like it's done, you don't have to pray about it anymore, and I found that a really, really helpful thing when I'm praying for stuff and asking for things, and just a couple of examples that I've had just recently... One was for, um, I don't know if uh, many of you know, our daughter-in-law, Chloe, had been very, very sick since they got married. She'd been off work for about five months with like horrific pain, couldn't work, couldn't stand, couldn't do anything. Um, and we prayed, you know, I prayed Every time I prayed, I prayed for her. I prayed every Sunday. I prayed every day. I prayed like, Every time I prayed, I prayed for her. And, you know, she just was sick for so long. And lots of other people with me would have been praying lots of times at prayer meetings. Nothing happened. One Sunday, I remember being here and we were in a time of worship very much like we just had. Just an amazing kind of breakthrough time. And as I prayed for her, just felt like that burden lifted. And um, she, she then said to me that week, um, on the Sunday morning, the pain went I've been fine since gone back to work just absolutely fine now I know that wasn't only my prayers I know her mom and her dad and lots of other people would have been praying too but sometimes it just lifts and that was amazing but it took it felt like it took a long time and I know many of you here would been praying far longer than five months for for stuff and we want to keep going at it and going again and not getting disappointed and not giving up but praying until that burden lifts until it's done so we'll do that with you this morning Another time I prayed, I was just praying about my job. I was very grateful for my job. Um, It was quite easy. wasn't taxing at all. And I was getting bored, to be honest. But, you know, I was grateful for it and the flexibility that it gives me. But I remember praying just as I drove up the motorway. God, um, I'm grateful, blah, blah, blah. But if I could have what I wanted, I would like to work with patients. I'd like to be in the local community working that's what I'd like I didn't know such a job existed I didn't want to go back to like my supermarket pharmacy that I'd done but I just prayed and it just felt like it left me I didn't think about it again Um, a couple of weeks later I went into one of the surgeries in town just to tell them about CAP and what we're doing with that and um, the practice manager said to me you're a pharmacist we want pharmacists you want to work for us (laughs) I said yes please And that was it. So that was an amazing one where just literally one prayer, boom, gone, and and the um, thing lifted. So I'd encourage you, just throw those prayers up whenever you get the chance. Okay. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Um, I'm going to just uh, say that there's, there's an expectation in Scripture. At the end of that Lord's Prayer bit, you would have seen that he said, if you forgive other people when they sin, your heavenly Father will forgive you. There's an expectation in Scripture that we will forgive people. It's not an optional extra. Jesus told a story about um, a servant that had been thrown in prison because he owed such a massive debt to his master, but the master let him off this huge debt. And then when he got out of prison, he found a friend that owed him a few quid and he, he kind of threatened him and then threw him in prison because he wouldn't pay. And when the master found out what had happened, this guy had had such, you know, had such a gracious kind of gift given to him really and he hadn't been prepared to pass that on, the master threw him back in prison. And Jesus told that story and it's quite sobering for us when we think of what Jesus has forgiven us. The way that he took our punishment, he took our sin, our shame, everything on the cross, the sin that the, the punishment that we deserved, he has taken. We can never repay that. And so if anyone sins against us, how can we hold that against them? I appreciate for some of you there's massive things that have been done against against you, but we have to find a way to to forgive people, to let it go. I mean, I don't find it easy. I find that the way that I get to a place of peace and forgiveness is to walk around the country park praying. And if things are really, I'm really finding things hard, I would just walk and walk and walk. I've walked many miles around that country park, believe me. If you see me walking and deep in prayer, that's what it is. I'm trying to let go of sort of bitterness, unforgiveness and those things. And I know that that's good for me too anything that I let kind of sit there and don't deal with can cause me anxiety and stress and even physical illness. So so we got, you know, it's a good thing to be able to let go of this. And I just encourage all of us to find your kind of way of doing that. We have to sort of let go of stuff. And the last bit says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is where we're going after enemy activity in our lives. Jesus' remit and his mandate was to destroy the works of the evil one. You wrote a st- song about that, didn't you, Dave, at one point? <laughs> to destroy the works of the evil one. I said, to remember singing that? Um, and so this is, I just want to focus in this last little bit about strategic prayer, understanding there's an enemy that's looking to take us out. I don't know if any of you find sometimes... Um, our lives can appear like uh, that game you get called whack-a-mole, you know, where something pops up and you're trying to hammer it and then something else will pop up. And as fast as you can get one thing, something else is going wrong. And that's how our lives look sometimes, don't they? And it feels like random things just keep popping up. Um, There's a book that I read by Priscilla Shara called Fervent Prayer. And she used that as an example. Um, In a fairground, there was was one of these whack-a-mole things going on and... Um, A kid that got impatient in the line ripped the sheet off the side of the truck and you could see there was people underneath with glove puppets on popping up. And uh, and so the, the point that she was making really was these things aren't just randomly popping up. You do have so an enemy behind this stuff. Now we don't want to give him too much credit. Like if you stub your toe we don't want to say oh the enemy's like attacking me. It's you know we, we need to not not focus on on the on our enemy too much, but we need to understand that there is an enemy. And that he has got a strategy to take us out and try and destroy the person that we are supposed to be and the path that we're supposed to be walking. So we need to, we do need to go to war against him. This book tells us that, he, she says, if I was your enemy, I'd go after your passion. That's what I'd do first. I'd go after your focus. I'd go after your identity. I'd go after your family, your past hurts. I've just said about how much harm past hurts can do if we don't deal with them. And so we need a strategy. We need a strategy to pray against those things. We need need to understand that that Jesus died to get rid of sickness, to get rid of enemy activity in our lives. And so whilst I know we sometimes learn things through difficult times, it isn't God's plan that we have those difficult times and we're perfectly, uh, you know, it's legitimate to go after all those things. If Jesus died to destroy those things, then the Father isn't sending them to us because they're not, they're not divided. So we know that we can go against all of those things. And, I, and I'd encourage, I pray every day protection over my family, over my friends. Um, I think it's important to do that. And there's a story in the Bible about uh, Deborah leading the people of God into battle. And some of you will identify with that character of Deborah. think, right, you know, at the front of the army, doing warfare. Some of you might not and just think, that wouldn't be me. I'm not a loud, shouty person. I, I don't know about this warfare thing. But in that story, it's really interesting because the king actually escapes, although they, they, their army being defeated the the king of the opposing army escapes and he goes and flees and tries to hide in a tent from family that they have some connection with. And uh, this lady gives him a drink of milk, covers him in blankets, he's shattered, so he falls asleep. And then she comes and drives a tent peg through his head. (laughs) It's scary, isn't it? Next time we go to Devoted, have him. But... The point, the point of the story, is, well, the point I'm trying to make from this story is, yes, we need to go into battle. We need to be up front and, and leading the troops. But sometimes the enemy can be taken out by somebody just doing the stuff, just behind the scenes, just quietly. And for us, just getting on your knees, just praying, just doing battle, quietly, consistently taking the enemy out so we can do that. Okay, so so that's the Lord's Prayer. I just want to quote from Tim Keller. He said, prayer is both a conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking his help, all of which can lead us to the spiritual reality of his presence. And it ends, there's a doxology on the end, which we often say, which would, would have not been in the original manuscripts, but the early church fathers added it and I think it's really appropriate whatever we're praying whatever we're saying to come back to yours is the kingdom the power and a glory forever and ever amen I think that's a fitting end to our prayers always